The reading is taken from Psalm 104 and can be found on the, in the Pew Bibles on page 606. Praise the Lord, my soul. Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. The Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. He makes winds his messengers, flames of fire his servants. He set the earth on its foundations. It can never be moved. You covered it with watery depths as with a garment the waters stood above the mountains, but at your rebuke the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder they took to flight. They flowed over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place you assigned for them. You set a boundary they cannot cross. Never again will they cover the earth. He makes springs pour water into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the sky nest by the waters. They sing among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The land is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes the grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth. Wine that gladdens human hearts oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. The trees of the Lord are well watered, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. There the birds make their nests. The stork has its home in the junipers. The high mountains go belong to the wild goats. The crags are a refuge for the hyrax. He made the moon to mark the seasons, and the sun knows when to go down. You bring darkness, it becomes night, and all the beasts of the forest prowl. The lions roar for their prey and seek their food from God. The sun rises and they steal away. They return and lie down in their dens. Then people go out to their work, to their labour until evening. How many are your works, Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. There the ships go to and fro, the, the Leviathan, which you form to frolic there. All creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He who looks at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. 
that may sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. Praise the Lord, my soul. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much for reading, Anne. Uh, do keep that open in front of you, Psalm 104. And, and I always think it's, it's an incredible thought um, to consider that down through hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, and even today, there are millions and millions and millions of Christians around the world who, who have joined their voices together uh, to say in a whole range of languages, I believe in God, the Father Almighty. What comes next, anyone? Creator of heaven and earth. Yeah. Uh, it's words that to some of us are probably pretty familiar. Um, perhaps if they're less familiar to you, they're the words, the opening lines of, of the Apostles' Creed. And, you know, when you're in a church that perhaps wears its, its roots and its history a little bit more, it's, it's something that's said each week. Maybe it's something we need to say a little bit more uh, at St. Luke's. Uh, it, it's a, a summary, if you like, of the, the Christian faith declaring, making declarations of what we believe about the God we worship. Uh, the God who exists as Father, Son and Holy Spirit. The God who has always been, always is uh, and who will always be the creator of heaven and earth. Begins where we began last week. God exists. Goes on to where we are this week. God is the God who creates. And maybe it's simple to think, well, of course, we come to God as creator first. We kind of arrive there early on because it's what happens early on. It's obvious, right? We talk about God being creator because where does the Bible start? Genesis 1, it starts in creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But actually, if you, if you get your Bible and you start flicking through, it doesn't take long for you to realize that God being creator is a belief that comes early on on the list. Because actually, it's hugely, hugely significant to who God is so in the Old Testament. Again and again, we are reminded that the living God, the God of the people of Israel, he's, he's marked out as the one who created the maker of heaven and earth. And we arrive in the, in the New Testament. Just think how John starts his gospel. A famous Christmas reading. And when we're given at the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 4. A glimpse of what's happening in the throne room of heaven. Even maybe now as we speak. Words like this are said. You are worthy our Lord and God. To receive glory and honour and power. Why? For you created all things. And by your will they were created. And have their being. When we talk about the God we worship being the creator. Now we are, we're saying God is where everything and everyone, including each one of us, finds our beginning, finds our origins. But we're also, I think, saying more because I think the Bible wants us to see more. It's saying that the living God, the God we encounter in the scriptures, the God whose Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is apart from, is different to, is on a whole nother level of any other God or God's or way of viewing the world. 
In the Bible's account, there's no battle between gods that means there's creation. There's no God creating so that he can sit back and be uh, um, served, living off the back of the work of the, the human workforce he's created. It's telling us that the universe is not the same as God. It's not part of God. Neither is it saying that the universe is eternal, nor does God need the universe in order for him to be who he is, and that there is more to this world and to our lives than the stuff we can touch and feel and experiment on. Instead, we are given the God we worship, the God who creates. God is not the same as his creation, but creation shows us God. If you like, creation is a window to look through and see what God is like. A slight hiccup in it, of course, being sin, our sin, and the consequence of sin in the here and now in our lives, in the world around us. And it means we don't see through that window very clearly anymore. It's like my windows at home on a cold winter's morning, all fogged up, on the inside, matched with all sorts of smears from small handprints, and I don't particularly want to know what was on their hand at the time. And then on the outside, there's all the dust that's being blown over uh, from the building site next door to where we're living, uh, and on a few windows, the occasional bird deposit. And uh, the consequence of, of our window of creation onto the creator being messed up and, and difficult to see through means. I can, as I did the last few days, go up to the North Yorkshire coast and I can have my breath taken away standing on Saltburn Pier, looking at the sea and the cliffs. It means I can watch a David Attenborough documentary and be amazed by the animal world as I watch some animal chase another animal and it's this big showdown and standoff. It means I can look around me and, and wonder how, how on earth does everything work? How does stuff grow? How does it develop? And none of those things are, are wrong things to do. None of those are in themselves wrong responses. Except that they don't go far enough. They don't go far enough. If I see breathtaking scenery but miss the breathtaking creator, if I'm amazed by the animal kingdom but not amazed at the creator, if I wonder how things work but not left in wonder at the creator, and the window I'm looking through has got really dirty, and I need something like Psalm 104 to be the window cleaner who comes along and clears our vision through. Reminds us, verse 1, Lord, my God, you are very great. Sometimes those, those words sort of don't hit us. Maybe we overuse the word great. You are very great. I always think of the line then. Um, in Luke's gospel, when uh, the angel is talking to Mary and says, you know, he'll be the son of the most high. He will be great. We mustn't lose the greatness of the word great. A psalmist knows for himself that looking through the window of creation to see the greatness of God doesn't, you know, it doesn't come that naturally. He knows how he has to sort of talk to himself and start, praise the Lord, my soul. There's a decision, there's a, there's a choice there. There's a speaking into to who we are. Praise the Lord, my soul. 
And notice how the psalmist here, he gives his time, he gives his headspace, he puts in energy and effort, doesn't he? At verse 34 at the end. May my meditation be pleasing to him. He spends time considering the creation. May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. And the Holy Spirit who inspired this psalm to be written, ensured it's been handed down, has, has made it so that we've got it open in front of us at this evening. Wants us to join in this meditation. This what seems to be essentially a meditation on Genesis chapter 1. And for us to see and know the greatness of God. The greatness of God the creator. And as I've been in this psalm this week, sort of three aspects of God's greatness have particularly struck me. And I want to share those uh, this evening. First thing, first aspect of God's greatness is, is through creation we see the creator's splendor. And majesty. First one, praise the Lord my soul. Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. Now looking out on you all, I I think I'm confident enough to say it. I suspect all of us are pretty good and guilty sometimes of making snap judgments about people we meet when we notice the clothes they're wearing. Or we clock where they live, or we notice the kind of car they drive. I was on a long motorway journey yesterday afternoon, and various uh, attempts at games to pass the, the time were, were had, and after a few moments of quiet, uh, this voice piped up from the back of the car, Daddy, you've got to catch the baddie. Who's the baddie? I asked. It's the car next to us, that Audi. Comes the reply. Oh, why are they a baddie? Don't you know, I'm informed, the baddies all drive Audis, BMWs and Mercedes. Now, there's a little bit of me that was very proud that my children are getting good at their different makes of cars, because that's the kind of thing I'm into. I can geek out on that. A little bit also of me was concerned at the judgment being placed on anyone who drives an Audi, a BMW, a Mercedes. Is that you this evening? Uh, sorry, you're a baddie. It's been declared. Um, and, and sort of what I've said or what Emily and I have said for them to have reached that judgment. Psalm 104 tells us to look at God's clothes. In verse 2, what's he wearing? He clothed. He wraps himself in lighters with a garment. Uh, and then he goes on. The heavens... Uh, like his tent, this is where God lives. He, he lays the beams of his upper chambers on the waters. What does God drive? Second half of verse three. He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. Now, okay, God isn't wearing clothes and doesn't have a house and, and doesn't drive a car. But you get the idea, don't you? His clothes, where he lives, uh, and uh, what he drives tells us something about him. It tells us that the creator is a God of splendor. And majesty. He is the great architect. He's the great engineer. He's the great builder of everything. And he does it through his powerful word. Now look at what the waters do in verse 7. Your rebuke. The waters fled. The sound of your thunder they took to flight. And, then, and pick up how, how God, as he creates, doesn't then just hands off and admire his handiwork. He, he's at the 
He's at the driving seat. He's totally involved. So in, in verse 13, we, we pick up an imagery of him watering the mountains from his upper chambers. I don't know. I just have this picture of the giant watering can as it, as it waters at the mountain. So why, verse 14, so as it goes down, it, the, the grass will grow for the cattle and there'll be plants for food for us. Now, last week, I had the disappointment of my watch breaking and it's snapping where the um, strap goes. But but that watch every day would tell me when the sun was going to rise and the time the sun was going to set. God doesn't need a watch like that. Verse 19, he tells the sun what to do. I should be clear. I don't think the Bible is trying to be unscientific. It's using picture language. I don't, I don't think God really has a giant watering can. I don't think he's got a remote control, which is like sun goes up, sun goes down. Scientific discoveries show us something of the inner workings going under the bonnet of, of how things are, are laid out, but none of them remove God. None of them take away his intimate involvement with every part of what he's made right now. So we look through the window now as it's, it's being cleaned, as it's being washed by Psalm 104. We see God, the creator's splendor and majesty, and we're invited to praise him. How do we do that? Well, it's worth asking the question, why, why did God make certain things the way he did? Why did God make certain things the way he did? I think it's so that they reveal something about him. So, for example, in Matthew chapter 23, uh, Jesus, looking out over Jerusalem, he, he describes himself as being like a mother hen who wants to gather her chicks under his wings. Now, I don't think Jesus is looking around and going, what am I like? Chicken. I'm a bit like that. No, no. I think we need to flip it around. God created hens in the way he did so that they would preach a message to us about what the creator's like. That he's self-sacrificing. He wants to protect and nurture. So I don't know what you were imagining when, when Rob started the service, the beautiful sight, the beautiful view that came to mind. But when we catch that sight, a beautiful landscape, a city skyline, a tiny detail of design, a carved coastline, an exotic destination, uh, uh, the people who are precious to us, uh, the setting that is exciting, our thoughts are to be directed, not to the splendor and majesty of what's in front of us, but the source, the one who is the source of all those things, to reflect on that and to be led to him. Psalm 104 cleans the window of creation. We might see God the creator. He, he's a God of splendor and majesty. The second thing we, we see is, as the window is cleared is, is he's, he's the God of wisdom. He's, God the creator has such great wisdom. We find it in verse 24. It says, how many are your works, Lord? In wisdom, you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. The more of creation we discover, the more we find out. The more we experience, the more our amazement of God's wisdom should increase and grow. I love the picture, verse 26 of Leviathan. I'm not totally sure what Leviathan is. Some great sea Dragon, crocodile, hippo, some great sea creature. 
And what's it designed? What's God designed for it to do? To frolic in the oceans. That's what it was meant to do. That's its purpose, to play in the oceans. That's God's wisdom when what God has made lives out what it was designed for. Notice how in verse 23 it talks about people going to work and to labour. And it's useful to be reminded that that's part of what we were designed for. Work is a good thing. Not just paid work, but any, anything we, we put our hands to, our minds to. But all of us have had that experience that because of sin, including our own, and it's God-given consequences, our work is sometimes frustrating, or often frustrating, sometimes fruitless. And as these different parts of God's creation and the way he's designed them preach to us and tell us what he's like, they reveal his wisdom. Actually, that strengthens us for those, those times when work is frustrating or fruitless or when the beauty of creation doesn't seem so beautiful or when our lives take a painful turn. When we're tempted to ask, is, is God the creator really wise in letting bad things happen? Is God the creator really wise when life hurts and it's not my fault? We turn to Psalm 104 and it as it cleans the window of creation for us to see the creator, it shows us a God who's not just wise, but a God who is wisdom. So we read verses 27 to 30. All creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they're satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they're terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, they are created. And you renew the face of the ground. God the creator, is, in his wisdom, is the source of life. He's, he's the only one who knows what we're designed for. Things are not as simple as the circle of life. It's God who gives. It's God who takes away. And the psalmist knows the reality of that for us. The reality of the consequence of death for us because of sin. And knows the impact it has on, on God's creation. So he says in verse 35, May sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. And perhaps it's a prayer that we continue to pray as we long for Jesus uh, to return. Because when he does, that will be the reality. But right now, God, in his wisdom, the creator in his wisdom, works through our pain through our suffering. None of it is beyond God's control. God never wastes our pain and our suffering. Instead, he, he uses it so that we might come to know Jesus. We might come to know the life we were designed for. Just as the Leviathan is designed to play in the sea, so we are designed to know God, to know him as our Father, to, to know a life of friendship and community and relationship, to know a life of fruitfulness. Psalm 104 cleans that window for us of creation. We see the creator. He's a God of splendor and majesty. We see a, a God of wisdom. And, and lastly, we see that the God who's creator rejoices. God delights in what he's made. Now, I feel a great sense of delight when something I've made or fixed works. In fact, I will do a little dance around the house and anybody who's there, I will be 
saying, I did a thing. How much more for the perfect creator? So we read uh, what the psalmist writes in verse 31. It says, may the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Creation itself exists because of the rejoicing and love that is at the heart of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God the Father for all eternity, loving his Son in the Spirit. Creation, if you like, is an extension, an overflow of, of this love and rejoicing for others like us to join in with and experience. And even when God's good creation is spoiled, when we turn away from him, God, despite our sin, continues to open himself up for so we, we can be part of it. And he does it by being the creator who steps into his creation. He does it so that to use the kind of language of one of Jesus' most famous set of stories, there would be rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Just as, um, as the psalm talks in verse 30 of the, the Spirit being sent, bringing life, renewing the face of the ground. So God pours his Holy Spirit into us through Jesus, recreating us, renewing us, promising us a renewed, recreated world to come. If we know God the Creator as the God who rejoices, we not only hear the call to care for his creation, we also hear the call to be involved with the lost being found for more rejoicing. Psalm 104 this evening, let it be the window cleaner for you. Of the window that creation gives us to the creator God. The God of splendor and majesty who we praise as we see and hear the voice of what God has made preaching to us. And he's the God of wisdom at work in every detail of the world and our lives that we might live out the lives we were designed for. The God of rejoicing. He, through Jesus, rejoices in each one of us tonight. And he will rejoice in those who come to faith in him through us. And we began, I began by quoting uh, the Apostles' Creed. That sort of solid statement that, that goes around the world, that goes down through history, that just reminds us of the gods we worship. And as I close, I'm going to invite us to join our voices together uh, with those words. I'm going to invite us to stand, so please do stand. And the words uh, should be available for the screen. And so we say together, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, 
the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please do have a seat, and Rob's going to lead us in a time of prayer.